Welcome to Demanding Growth, a podcast from Annuitus where we have conversations about some of today's biggest challenges to growth. My name is Anna Claire Hayden. Today we're talking about how to translate online behavior into meaningful conversation. Our goal is to empower sales and marketing teams to feel confident that they're gathering the right information along a buyer's journey and that they can turn all of that information into a personalized, solution-oriented conversation. I'm joined by Jessica Jones, the Chief Growth Officer here at Annuitas. So Jessica, user journey, customer experience, these are terms that you can find them anywhere. But the reality is that they're actually defined differently depending on who's using them. So I would like for us to get into the specifics of what type of behavior we're actually talking about. Can you define the types of online behavior that a user may have on their journey? Specifically, I'm interested in knowing what types of information should be collected. Um, You know, what matters when you're trying to qualify a prospect? So when it comes to things that are actionable for sales specifically, there are two areas that I see. One is going to be coming from progressive profiling. So it's the information that people are willing to give to you for potentially valuable content or things like that on your website, et cetera. And then the other piece is going to come from engagement channels and the actual content that they were consuming. Obviously, it is super critical that marketing engages with sales and balances the right type of information um, that's appropriate at each one of those buying stages um, that people are willing to give up as long as they find that piece valuable, right, when they're filling out a form. But I think more importantly, that it needs to be balanced with things that are actually going to be helpful for sales to pre-qualify. Um, I see sometimes marketing making a lot of assumptions on what they think is going to be meaningful, not only with the questions themselves, but then also it's sometimes challenging with the pick list values. Like, like for instance, with a, a good example with that is timeline to buy. I see a lot of hangups with timeline to buy on progressive profiling because People try to put actual timeframes on it, one to three months, three to six months, you know, but most organizations offer different products or services. So it should really be more about the intent to buy and not necessarily a timeframe because there's going to be different sales cycles attached to different things. So it's little nuances like that, that I think that sales is going to have the insights around that marketing may not, which makes it more important for them to be the ones to dictate and drive the, um, the pick list values. There is also the user experience to think about. I think that sales sometimes wants to get super granular and have a million things and be like, oh, I want every single title in here, you know, but do they really care? How is that going to, you know, that's when marketing can actually step in and help them, which is how are you going to act differently between these responses, right? Are you going to take this response and approach the prospect in a different way based on it? If not, then I would say let let it go because then it's going to improve the user experience because you're not going to have a drop down a pick list value of 20 things where somebody's going to either pick the first one or scroll all the way down to the end and pick other. So something you said there is really interesting. Sales wants pick list options for all possible job titles, but marketing is saying that's going to create a bad user journey and probably clutter up our data. That's what I'm pulling from from what you just said. So 
as you're going through this process and choosing what information is relevant, what should be included in a progressive profiling strategy, who owns what. This is, and, and I ask that because this is the type of scenario that could easily devolve into a fight between sales and marketing, especially if they're already misaligned. So who owns what? It's definitely collaborative. I think that it's, especially with sales, it's easier to edit than author. So it's good to come with a framework. That's why we right, come with a framework to our lead management framework workshops. We don't just go in there and say, hey, what do you think we should be asking people, right? We, and it's based off of research and you prove that and you walk them through the fact that this is based off of direct feedback from prospects and customers and, and the, it's, it's real world. And I think that's another thing is if the more tangible that you can make it to sales and have a real world scenario, then it makes it easier. But in terms of ownership, yeah, it has to be collaborative, but I think that marketing needs to come to the table with recommendations for something to to edit, not author, um, and needs to listen, right? I think sometimes marketing thinks because they have the research backing it that they're going to be the right people in the room and that sales is just being difficult. But I think that in reality, sales is in the trenches every single day, as, as long as you have people in the room that are in the trenches, right? Not leadership. I think that's another key piece too. When you talk about partnering, it can't be leadership that isn't in the field selling. It has to be actual people, feet on the street, picking the phones up every single day selling. Those are the people that, that need to give you the feedback and need to stress test what you've put in front of them. I think that's a really great point. Yeah. So then we come to the second part of this equation, which is once you've collaborated and agreed upon the type of behavior you want to see, how do you make sure that your sales team especially can easily see this data? I know personally, I've been in situations where marketing holds all of the keys and all of a person's online behavior is stored in the marketing automation platform that sales doesn't even have a login to that platform. So how do you make sure that both teams can easily access the relevant data? Well, you have to meet sales where they're at and sales is 99.9% .9 of the time in CRM, Salesforce, most of the time is that CRM. So you have to present it in Salesforce, um, but it needs to be presented in a meaningful, actionable way, right? You can't, I think there is aggregation of data, which is through list views and reports and dashboards, which is the 10,000 foot view of everything I'm working on and patterns and things like that to help me, to help me understand where to spend my time most efficiently during the day. If I'm working a body of leads at any given time or a body of accounts, if I'm an account based rep, right? Um, but then there's also the individualized person or, or entity that I'm actioning. So meaning the lead or the contact or the account, again, if I'm an account based rep. So you have to be able to present data in both places in a meaningful way. And when I say meaningful, it means not just vomiting data onto the page and expecting sales to know what to do with it, right? You have to look at the ex sales experience in Salesforce because most people are already looking at Salesforce as something that they have to do because their manager, look, it's just reality, right? Most salespeople don't like Salesforce. I love Salesforce, but I, 
again, I know how to use it and I, I understand the value of it and I work with marketing and I partner with marketing and I understand how to, you know, it's just, it, it, it's a meaningful tool for me. But most people, if you ask any, any sales rep, nine out of 10 times, they're going to go, I, you know, eh, it's okay. Like, but my, really it's like Fridays. I have, I have a half hour schedule where I update all my opportunities and then I update them throughout the year. I mean, throughout the week at some point when my manager's mad because he's got a meeting in half an hour that he's got to report up and his reports aren't right. Right. That's not. So this is a way to actually make it meaningful, right. Is to start to make it a resource an actual true resource for helping people sell better. And so take that seriously and have, and, and there's stewardship involved with that, right. There's a responsibility. Um, I feel like that's cheesy, right? Like with great power comes great responsibility, but it's true. I, I really do. I feel like marketers can step in and they can think about the sales experience, right? So if everyone over time has thrown a million fields on the lead record, and now you want to throw 10 more fields on it, because that's the information you're collecting from progressive profiling, you know, you've got to look at the page layout, for instance, and say, okay, if, if this, if I'm going to say this is meaningful information to take action on, then it should be towards the top of the page, and we should streamline the page so that people understand that this stuff, or maybe talk to sales ops and remove this stuff, or, or you know, sh shorten, shorten the page, you know, hide this because it's only sales ops that needs to see this, and it's not sales that needs to see this or whatever, but. You know, it's an opportunity to take the sales experience into account so that they are only focused in. If you give somebody a hundred things, they're not going to know what to focus on, right? And same thing with reports. Like, you have to talk to people and say, "This is going to be. Is this meaningful? Like, let's do focus groups. Let's do, you know, all of that again, working with them and and not just assuming that this is the way they want to see it because that's somebody's manager that's saying that. Like, what do the people in the trenches want to say? I think you've just described the dream state for a lot of people. But how do you make it real? Like you just said, you have to teach people where to even look for this information. But I don't think that we can assume just because a person knows where to look that they will be able to pull insights from the data in front of them. So what role does training play in the ability to translate online behavior into meaningful conversation? I think training is huge, right? I think, let's assume Right, like you said, because I still think there's more to the side of presenting information in a meaningful way. But let's assume that you've aggregated that information, it's easily digestible, and you've rolled up what's important in some meaningful way to them, right? So it's easy for them to go to a lead record and see this person did this, this is how they became qualified, here are the qualifying questions that I need to pay attention to, blah, 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 all this stuff, right? But then reaching out to them, like you said, in a meaningful way, leveraging that in, in a meaningful way is very different. For instance, I've got a, let's say that this was a warm lead, right? They, it's not like they filled out an accelerator. A hand raiser is easy. Somebody that fills a form out and says, I want to talk to sales is pretty easy. At that point, you're really just focused on the information they've given you on the form so that you can, and doing your obvious due diligence as a sales rep of looking up the company and the person and, and, and not approaching, right, like a cold call. But if, if you're approaching a QL warm, that's where the training is really, really important because you are looking at a litany of behaviors and channels and content and events and webinars and all of these different things. And most sales reps aren't going to know what the important things are. Like I, if I have 15 interactions sitting in front of me and I need to reach out to somebody that's not saying they want to talk to sales, which one of those interactions do I leverage and why, right? So one thing I always, you know, you start with is 
are there certain pieces that people have interacted with more than others? Are there pieces that they've forwarded on to colleagues? Um, again, going back to the account based piece, um, are there individuals within the same account that are all looking at the same piece of content? Uh, you know, what was the most recent piece? Are there, um, when you look at the information that they're giving you via progressive profiling, let's say that they're citing a specific challenge, but they're really consuming content around a different pain point or challenge. That's always a really interesting insight that I think that people forget to look at, right? Because it means that one of two things, either they aren't aware of what their real challenge are, but their behaviors are starting to tell you what, what they really, right? Or they don't want to admit it. So those are certain things to pay attention to. I always find very interesting. Same thing with account-based, um, going back to that account-based notion, if you're seeing individuals citing different critical pain points and different barriers to change, that is really meaningful in terms mm -hmm. of bringing a buying committee together in the long run. I, I, it's, it's those types of things. But again, that's when you go back to training, that's not something necessarily intuitive to a sales rep, be just, and again, it's nothing against sales reps, it's just they had, haven't had the experience before, right? So you have to train them on how to look at the data collectively and, and use it in an organic, meaningful way in conversations with people rather than defaulting to, hey, I saw you just attended this event, want to talk? Or, hey, saw you download this piece, want to talk? Because that's normally what I see with sales reps is they'll cite the piece. So they're basically like, hey, I've been watching you, want to talk? That's not meaningful. Yeah, so that's, that's my next question is, how do you actually do all of this? You bring up a great point. Just because you have access to this type of data doesn't mean you can use it to be creepy. I think at this point, we all know that we're being tracked online, but just because I'm aware if I fill out a form and give you my information, you now have my information, that doesn't mean that I'm comfortable having you pick up the phone after my second interaction just to call in and say, hey, I saw you just took action A, let's talk. Like that's very uncomfortable for me. That's very intrusive. So I think that you have to make it a natural conversation Otherwise, it feels like that jarring invasion of privacy. How do you train your sales team to use this information responsibly? I personally train people and I myself train people not to actually cite the piece. I don't. I, I agree with you. I think it's creepy. I mean, yes, we all know what's going on, but does that mean you have to point it out? It's like, you know, I think there are more subtle ways to do it. For instance, let's say that you're, that they've read this piece 10 times. Like I said, what's the objective of that piece? Go and read that piece before you call that person, right? What, and, and think about it, think about it in conjunction with what they're citing as pain points within their organization, their role within the organization, the organization itself, let's say the organization is going through uh, a big you know, surge of acquisitions, right? And and you're and they're reading a piece around uh, alignment, uh, organizational alignment, right? So start to talk to them about the challenges associated with with um, with mergers and acquisitions and what we've seen with other clients. But you don't have to be like, hey, based on the piece that you've read, just start talking about what the piece you know, feel the piece. It's how long does it take to go read an article that they've they've read? What does that take? Five minutes out of your day? You're probably doing half an hour's worth of research on LinkedIn on the organization and the person before calling a QL warm anyway, right? So take five minutes to read the piece that they've 
gone back to over the course of the last three months, seven times and and have a meaningful conversation, cite some of the issues in there. Like, hey, we've had other clients that have, you know, really been, I see in the news that blah, 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 blah. And I mean, that that's the kind of thing that you can do is just be more organic about it. I mean, they're looking for somebody to help. It's not, they're not looking, you know, we, like you said, we all know that we're all being tracked, but but I, 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 as a person reaching out to an organization, expect you to know things about me, but I don't expect you just to regurgitate something from a bulleted list that's sitting in front of you. And I think that's the problem, right? When we, you hear people all the time talking about the expectations versus reality of prospects today during the buying process, right? The expectation is that you're going to know me, you're gonna have a personal, meaningful conversation with me, right? Um, I've, I've given you information, therefore you shouldn't be cold calling me. But I think that people think, oh, well, that just means that I can regurgitate things that I'm seeing in front of me. No, it means synthesizing the information, synthesize it and have a real conversation with somebody. People just want to have a real conversation with people. When you talk about synthesizing the information, that's another problem area that I've seen a lot with sales. They have so many places to look for information that it's overwhelming. They are overwhelmed and they are not even going to go and try to put it all together because it exists in 10 different places. What's your recommendation there? Even if sales loft is set up perfectly and, and Showpad is set up perfectly and, and sales, you know, Salesforce set up perfectly, each one of those things is going to give you a piece of meaningful information, but then how do you bring all of that together? Right. Even that is, is you can't set these things up in a vacuum, right? I mean, it's, it's overwhelming. It's hard to sell. It's I, people talk about it being hard to buy. It's hard to sell. The salespeople shouldn't be logging into 10 different tools during their day. They should be looking in one tool and it should be marketing's responsibility to integrate all of that together and present it to them so that they can, they can action it. But I will say, now we get into a hairy situation of who owns sales enablement. I think that marketing owns sales enablement, but I think oftentimes that sales enablement is the redhead stepchild of marketing because people think that sales enablement is defined as product sheets and demos and slicks to send somebody after a call, right? And that's not true sales enablement. True sales enablement is actually helping sellers sell. Yeah. I think true sales enablement helps salespeople add value and continue to orchestrate a great experience throughout the buying process. Without effective sales enablement, there's a value breakdown. And both sales and marketing should care about that because what we don't want to happen is by the time I, a prospect, get to the sales part of the actual buying process, I have a totally different experience than what I had in the earlier stages of my journey. That's so jarring and it doesn't do anyone any favors. So how do you make sales enablement valuable? How can it become a part of a personalized journey so that it enables that meaningful conversation? And there are parts you can automate, but then there are parts that you can't too, right? So automation, I think that's a good, going back to the whole tools thing, right? We talked about bringing all the data together for sales, but I cannot tell you how many times I see sales loft emails, for instance, going out with um, most people today struggle with the following, right? And they have a bullet list of, of things that people struggle with. Meanwhile, on form one of progressive profiling, they've explicitly cited what they're struggling with. 
but you're going to sit there and have this generic conversation with them about what we see with most companies, right? Bring that in there. Say, you know, we understand that companies like yours struggle with XYZ, right? And put that in there. I mean, there. Well, if you're properly integrating your systems, you can automate some of that and make it super easy for for sales reps to not have to you know like do all that work. But then, so that's one thing. I'm like the automation piece of it. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Is is that I've if marketing has done their job correctly and nurtured me along a journey and been there every step of the way and established themselves as thought leaders, um, you know, cited the challenges, pain points, talked about what potential solutions are out there, and you know, I've I've continued down that path. It's mar- it's sales's responsibility to consider that conversation in a meaningful way. It's hard to nurture a lead. It's you think about that. You think about all the work that goes into that, and you and somebody has been there every step of the way. Uh, you know, walking somebody, and then all of a sudden, it's like, it's, I mean, that's hard. It's it's you're holding somebody's hand, and all of a sudden, they're just not there, right? And you're starting from square zero with the sales rep who's going to start who's going to be like hey you know what do you need or 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 whatever or hey i saw you read this article let's talk Uh, that's that's it's disruptive and it's it's abrasive and i think it's just disjointed um but you're right there's it's 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 a relay race right where yes they have to they have to hand the baton over to sales and arm sales to run with the baton so i think that's you know, that's part of it. And and that goes back to the tools piece of it too, right? So we oftentimes, I, I said before that people see sales and what content is like product content or whatever it might be, like slicks or demo, like those like sheets, you know, one sheeters or like leave behind kind of stuff, um, which is fine, but it, it needs to be from the perspective of the rest of the information. Like again, what, what opportunity stage are they in? What pain points are they cited? What what was the original solution, not just the product, but what was the solution that they were looking for? And are there other pieces that you might need to be talking about? Like if there's a set of solutions that go together or whatever it might be. So, you know, is the content in Showpad or Seismic or whatever tool you have, right? Whatever sales name tool you have, is that tagged appropriately so that you know sales reps can take the information that they were that people gave them for progressive profiling and search based on pain point or search based on buying stage or search based on topics of interest uh, rather than just searching on product name this person is talking to you know we don't so so that's another way to automate part of this right is to make it easy for sales to find that kind of stuff rather than i mean you can't blame sales for for having a disjointed conversation with somebody if all they can do is search by you know product code you know that's what causes infighting and that's what causes right like there is stewardship sure somebody might like drive the relationship right marketing might drive the relationship pre-qual and and hand it off you still have an obligation to um to both the prospect and sales to help to you know enable that conversation sales enablement Going back to the training thing, one mm-hmm. thing I do want to cite is that I think in general we have a tendency to train people right before a process launches or launch week or whatever it might be. Here's this new process. Here's all this great information you're going to get. Here's all this stuff, right? And you normally have a big presentation. You're walking people through slides. You've got real-world examples. You've got whatever it might be, right? But it's all theoretical because it hasn't technically launched yet, right? I think it's really, really important to circle back with sales and BDRs on a frequent basis 
and do real world in the moment training. I think that hearing what's going to happen or in clicking this button and getting this result or seeing data here and, you know, here's how you do this or do that is very different than feeling it and having to act on it yourself. And so one of the things I have found to be really, really um, valuable is doing workshops after launches. So getting real leads, actual leads that people have worked that are juicy, like a good one, right? Like a really good, like something that's had like a pattern of interactions or something that where it would be more challenging. It's not one thing like an accelerator mm -hmm. or whatever, but it would be more challenging because they would have to actually do some like synthesizing of the information and understanding how to leverage it. Um, and calling them ahead of time. So you're not being like, Hey, I'm going to call you out in this big sales call. Right. But, but being like, Hey, I'm going to use you as an example on the call and walking through with them. How did you use this information? What did you do? Right. And if they missed things talking through, okay, like, here's how I would have done that differently, or here's how whatever, or if, um, I'm being able to, uh, do that real time, real world, not theoretical world, um, type training, I think is, it makes it click. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. That I think actually reminds me of our last episode around organizational change management, where you actually said something great. I loved it. You said that it, it's really important we realized that change has no end. You have to weave change into the fabric of your organization and recognize that it needs to be managed just like any other initiative. I think that's so applicable here throughout this entire conversation is recognizing that that this is going to cause change in your organization for your marketing team and your sales team. And that has to be planned for. Otherwise, this isn't going to work out. Makes perfect sense. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for your time today. I know that I learned a lot and I really hope that the people listening will learn a lot too. If you're interested, you can learn more about this topic by visiting annuitus.com and clicking on the insights tab. Until next time.